0: read psalm 121 it's a short psalm uh it's only 8 verses but here's what it says i lift up my eyes to the hills where does my help come from my help comes from the lord who made heaven and earth he will not let your foot be moved he who keeps you will not slumber behold he who keeps israel will neither slumber nor sleep the lord is your keeper the lord is your shade on your right hand The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Lord, we thank you for this promise in this psalm of what it means to be able to have help from you. Father, as we look at it and what it meant to the first readers and also what Uh, ways that we can apply those principles to us today. I pray that you will help us uh, to not look first to self-help titles or to other things that are in this world, but I pray that you will uh, remind us to be able to look to you first for help and for guidance in life. In Jesus' name that we pray, amen. One of the things that um, I really like about this passage is it basically lays it out... um, Uh, a few things about help. The first thing that we see in this passage is that this passage lets us know who the author of help is, who the author of help. And as we can see, and as we know, the author of help is the Lord. It's not a self-help title. It's not uh, a counselor. It's not a Christian counselor. It is first and foremost the Lord. Now, the Lord will use all these things in different ways to be able to, to help people, but it's the Lord who, who uh, dictates um, how He will help and what He will do and what methods that He will use. I don't know if it says this in your Bible, but at the top um, of mine, you'll see uh, a little uh, editorial note that's in uh, caps, and it says, A song uh, of a sense. Okay, and as you're looking at that, uh, that's not real clear usually in Bibles that have uh, all these notations of really what a song of ascent is. But really, what it is, it's it's this great, great idea of what the Lord did to be able to help the children of Israel back in during the Old Testament times when temple. Uh, Uh, The temple in Jerusalem was the central part of what it meant to obey and worship the Lord. And what the Lord did is he laid out for his people ways and things that they can do to be able to prepare their hearts to go worship the Lord in Jerusalem. And so what he did is he had and used uh, these things that were called songs of ascents. And uh, ascent is not... Uh, uh, a song of sniffing roses or, or, or other type of no sense. I'm talking about ascent as in going up. And those who say, okay, going up, like we're, like we're you know, worshiping the Lord, you know, we look, our, uh, look up to the heavens to be able to worship him or things like that. No, it's actually literal. A psalm or a song of ascent, because if we remember, if you've ever been to Jerusalem, into the Holy Land there in Israel, Jerusalem is actually up on a plateau, okay? Where it is, it's kind of up on a plateau in a, little, in a mountainous, a rocky and a hilly version, and where the people lived out in the different tribes and stuff all around in the ancient land of Israel, those places were lower in elevation from where Jerusalem was. Okay. And so that, that's beginning, I'm sure, to be able to conjure up some imagery you know, when Jesus was saying and teaching in the Sermon on the Mount about a city on a hill as he was teaching uh, you know, outside of those things. All those people in, those, uh, in ancient Israel knew that you know, the ultimate city that's up on a hill and that's up is Jerusalem. And so what people would do as they would go to Jerusalem to be able to worship the Lord from all over Israel, they would literally be climbing up a hill going up to the temple to where they would worship God. And what God and what the Lord did, he used David to be able to come up with songs that parents and that people would sing to one another and to sing as they journeyed to help prepare their hearts to be able to worship the Lord at the temple. And so when you see these things, these are in the Bible a psalm of ascent or a song of ascent are the things that people used to do when they would go on their way to be able to worship the Lord in Jerusalem. It's an amazing thing to be able to think about that and how that long ago the Lord made aware to Israel the importance of preparing our hearts when we come together corporately to be able to worship the Lord. And then that's always a reminder to me to be able to think of, am I adequate? adequately preparing my heart for worship when I come to corporate worship on Sundays, when I come to corporate worship on other times? Am I spending time enough with the Lord through the week? Am I spending enough time with the Lord even thinking about it on on, uh, uh, the weekend and on Sunday mornings to be able to make sure that my mind, my heart, my spirit is prepared to be able to hear from him as the word is teached? as we sing songs about him and his, his great acts, am I completely and totally prepared to have a focus on the Lord and for him as the author of help to be able to speak to me about the encouragement and the things that I need in my life and the help that I need. And so this, this whole passage uh, is really amazing because there in verse 1 where it's saying, I lift up my eyes to the hills, where does my help come from in that rhetorical question the reason that the worshipers lifting their eyes up to the hills is because that's where jerusalem is that's where the temple was and if you remember with all the gold and all the things that the temple was adorned with it literally shone like a like a bright uh, beacon of light up on the hill of jerusalem and it was a constant reminder as the worshipers were coming into the city where i lift up my eyes to the hills because remember, the temple was the symbol of God's presence in the in the Old Testament. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. What reminders do you have in your life? What reminders do we have in our life to help us remember to first and always lift up our eyes to the hills, to where does our help come from? Because a lot of times what we do, men, especially those of us in our American culture. We're so ingrained with God helps those who help themselves. So we want to do things our way. We want to help ourselves. We want to try to be able to to help our families in and of our own strength. And a lot of times we'll come to the Lord after we've tried to take care of things our way. And we've seen what kind of failure and what type of chaos that causes. But those times when we can stop and Look to the hills to where our help comes from and focus our gaze from down here and focus our gaze upward and ask the Lord, Lord, you're the author of help. Show me, help me, what do I do? Then the Lord is able to work in and through us through a proper attitude of worship to be able to give us the help that we need in our everyday world. Uh, I'm a big history buff. Uh, I'm one of those guys who uh, even uh, when I had preschool children, uh, I was taking my kids to Civil War battlefields. Uh, one of my favorite things to do when, and y'all are probably thinking, oh my word, Will, you are so boring. But no, I, I really like doing this kind of stuff because what, what I do when I go to these Civil War battlefields or other stuff, um, I study or I know enough about uh, the battle before I go that I'm, I can kind of educate the tour guide, if you know what I mean. I'm not, you know, psycho person that says, well, actually, that's not where, you know, this general fell. It was actually more over there, you know, if you remember, this general area is where, he, you know, he was shot, but he actually died over here. Oh, yeah, thank you, you know, for that. And everybody else goes, out oh, nerd. Uh, but uh, I'm that guy. And so I was taking my kids. I've got my kids uh, in video uh, when they were three and when they were one, when we were there um, uh, at Bull Run uh, there in Virginia at the Battle of Bull Run or at uh, First Manassas is what others uh, know it as. And um, yeah, I just uh, love going there. My, my children have a love for uh, American history and it's a thing that we like to talk about uh, as a family. But I don't know if you know the history. Do what? Yes, they do. They do, they do like talking about it. My kids do like talking about it because one of the things that, um, that I want them to be able to know, and, and this is the thing that we do, especially with what we're talking about today with that, with that uh, saying, God helps those who help themselves, is I want my, my kids to be able to know the real American history and not the revisionist American history. Uh, I want them to know uh, what actually happened and what had been taught uh, in the history books, uh, in uh, early American uh, history, even like within the 19th century of these things that actually happened during the American Revolution close to that time and not what so-called enlightened people today want to change that history uh, to be something otherwise. And so Um, And so I have great discussions uh, with my kids and stuff about this. But one of the great things that I like about uh, the history of our uh, uh, presidents and and the office of the president is in 1789 when George Washington was first elected the president uh, of the United States with our newly written uh, constitution. Uh, that came from uh, the Articles of Confederation. If those of you who don't know who the what the Articles of Confederation is, stick around afterwards. I will be teaching a nine hour seminar on the Articles of Confederation versus the U.S. Constitution. It's very interesting. We will be having donut leftovers if you want to uh, stick around. But um, here's our newly elected leader. He's come to this point to where he knows that the whole nation is looking to him to be able to lead us in this new era of a failed federal government. And now we have strengthened the federal government a little bit more while upholding the rights of the states, and now they are wanting to be able to have him as the leader. Now, if you remember, some people, even at the first constitutional convention, wanted to make George Washington the king of the United States of America. And George Washington refused that, and that was part of some of the discussion that led to what they did with creating the office uh, of the presidency and even them addressing uh, our president as Mr. President instead of uh, your highness or his highness. But uh, the oath of office for our presidents written in the Constitution says this. I do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute the office of the president of the United States and will try the best of my ability to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. That's all it says. But when General Washington came time for him to recite the oath, he did it. But at the very end of that oath, he added the words that have been repeated by every single president up to this date so help me God. General Washington at that time and moment knew how small and insignificant he truly was. And he knew that as a nation looked to him to be able to lead it and take it into this new era in the world stage, that he was completely and totally inadequate to do it. And so him being a man who knew the difference between doing things in his own power and trusting the Lord for it, he added the words, so help me God. One of the things that we've got to do is follow the great examples that we see, not only in the Bible, but also, I believe, the great examples that we see in our own American history, that here is the father of our nation, taking on the first great task of our new nation, and he made sure that it was in the record and that people knew that his dependence on help was on the Lord. Do our families know when we're faced with a difficult task? Do they know that we are seeking the Lord's help first and foremost? When our marriages are facing difficult times, do our wives know that we're looking to the Lord for help first? When our communities are in tough times, do the people around us know that we are looking to the Lord for help first and foremost? When our church is going through difficult times, when your life group may be going through difficult times, when the deacon body may be going through difficult times, are you trying to figure things out first and foremost in your own power? Or are we first calling out for a season or a time of prayer to be able to lift up our eyes to the hills, to look for where our help comes from. It's a great reminder for today. The Bible also gives us in this passage the the description of help. It gives us who the author of help is, but the second thing it does is it gives us the description of help. If you look there in verses 3 through 6, you'll see a description of how the Lord gives specific help to his people. The first help that's listed is the help of direction. This help of direction is listed in verse three. Now, as we talked about when a person in ancient Israel would travel to Jerusalem to worship, uh, the path that they would take would be hilly and rocky. And if a person slipped or fell On that path, they could risk very serious injury. And in some places on the journey to to, uh, Jerusalem, you could also risk death. And what this passage is saying in verse 3 is that God would help those in the journey to worship him. But there's also in this context that God would help people on the everyday path and also give them direction for living. The second help that we see listed in this passage is the help of protection. The first help is the help of direction. The second help that we see is the help of protection. That we see in verses 6 and 7. Now, when a person of, in ancient Israel would travel to Jerusalem to be able to worship the Lord, they traveled outside. They did not have covered donkeys. They did not have covered wagons. They did not have uh, a, a, uh, uh, any kind of thing to be able to shelter them as they journeyed up to Jerusalem. Uh, to worship. And so the heat of the sun would beat down on them as they traveled uphill. Uh, if you ever walked up a hill with the sun uh, beating down on you, you uh, know what that's like, or been out on a hike, you know, somewhere, and you say, you know what, I'm going to, uh, you know, hike around this area. Yeah, come on, let's go. Uh, if you've ever been to Wyoming, uh, or around, you know, Devil's Tower, or, or some of that other kind of stuff, or hiked at Uh, even uh, over here at Beaver's Bend, you know, in Oklahoma, there's some great little hiking places and stuff there. Uh, It's all fine and dandy when you say you want to go on a hike, but when all of a sudden that sun starts beating down on you and you start having to go up a rocky hill, it can be quite difficult to be able to do that. Uh, And so uh, God uh, gives his protection as they travel out in the sun, but also people in the ancient world, one of the things that they believed is that they believed that the moon's light was also a danger to them. And the reason that it was a danger to them is because the moon would also give just enough light for highwaymen or for robbers who were on the paths, the normal travel paths that people would travel in between cities or in between places, that they would hide behind boulders or other areas to be able to ambush travelers and campers uh, at night. And so what God said in this passage is that he would not only protect them during the day, during the time that the sun is beating down on them, but also the dangers of night as they travel along the path to be able to worship him. I don't know if those of you uh, uh, who um, um, who have had the joy of parenthood or, or, or grandchildren uh, or, or things like that, or maybe you're experiencing this to this day, of what it's like to be uh, the parent or the grandparent uh, of that first toddler, Uh, in your family or maybe an aunt and uncle uh, of having that first toddler. But that firstborn in a family is kind of crazy because you get all the experimentation on what in the world are we doing happens with that first child. My family uh, and I myself, we had so many funny things happen to us with our first child. Uh, He's six feet tall and 16 years old now. uh, And my uh, second had it much easier. But uh, we like to tell stories of how, our, uh, of how uh, the Lord helped us with our 16-year-old uh, sometimes just to remind him that, uh, that uh, his mom and I are first-time you know people that, who are doing this kind of stuff. But when he was one, he was really smart. He got mobile, and uh, it frustrated Janelle and I to no end because we saw him one day studying the child locks on all the cabinetry in the kitchen. I don't know if you've had or seen a preschooler study child locks, but my son literally looked like it sometimes that he was getting to write an engineering research paper on the benefits and, the, uh, and, and different ideas on the effectiveness of child locks. He would sit there as a one-year-old and he would just sit there and he would study it and he would look at it and he would look at things. And what we didn't realize, he was also observing us. And how we would get in and use the child locks we had a a child lock that saved mom and dad time because we had the kind that we installed to where as you opened up the cabinet it had a little lip on it that would catch and you had to have enough strength to be able to push down that little lip to be able to open up the cabinet well what we didn't know is that our son was watching us every single time that we would do that because he would open it up look at it he couldn't open up the cabinet you know to pull out the dishes and stuff he would watch and see us and then when we would open up that cabinet he would try to scurry in you know and pull things out and take you know pots and pans and try to put holes in the wall and all that kind of stuff but um he studied it and Janelle tells a story of one day he was in there and she from a distance see him open up the cabinet and then do this Look at his little finger, like he's trying to focus on his little finger. You know how little kids look at stuff that's real close, and you see their eyes cross, you know, and whatever. It's really cute. He sits there as a one-year-old, pushes down that child lock, opens it up, grabs a fondue fork, lets out a rebel yell like he hit Eureka and starts running through the house with a fondue fork. Janelle is seeing all of this happening from an instance, and she, my wife, is just... just shocked but at the same time quite proud because our one-year-old figured out you know the child locks of course you know you you have this you know struggle and so she goes grabs him real quickly takes that fondue fork away from him and sits back and calls me and says stop by Lowe's on the way home we got to figure out what we're going to do about this our smart child and these child locks well i don't know if you remember a lot of the imagery that's in the bible about we as the sheep of the Lord and how a shepherd has to take care of its sheep. Or if you know about other imagery in the Bible about how the Lord is our good, good father, as we talked about and sang about on Sunday, how he's watching over us. But that is the same way that the Lord watches over us today. He's protecting us as we go and he's protecting us from things that harm us. A lot of times things that harm us are things that we allow to come into our lives when we don't first and foremost look to him for help first when we try to solve things on our own. It's, it's a thing that sometimes that we want our way regardless of the consequences, and we think that, that we can help ourselves. But what happens is, is that God as a good, good father protects us. And instead of getting mad at God when really he's protecting us from something and that he's trying to help us out with We need to realize that God helps us in ways that molds us and shapes us in the image of Christ. We need to not only look to him for help, but we need to also realize that he's going to give us direction and instruction on help, sometimes even when we're not looking for it because he's trying to move us in the right direction of helping make sure we're depending on him for help and not in and of ourselves. And we all know and could have testimony time of those things of our life right now, if we had the time of times when we thought that we had it all and the Lord had other plans for us and he changed our plans and he helped us and he directed us in a path that was different from a path that we had chosen and we thought that we needed to go. So the Lord gives us the direction of help, but he also gives us the promise of help. This is the last part of help that we see in this passage. Verse 7 and 8 talks about how the worshiper has the promise of the Lord that the Lord will protect them both coming to and going out both now and forever, coming to the place of worship and going out both now and forever. And as we talked about, this has an implication not only for coming to corporate worship, but as we leave our homes, as we return back to our homes, as we go on a a journey, as we return from a journey, as we uh, go about our everyday life. Um, it's an encouragement that God is always watching over and will always protect us because he promises that he will help us. A small kid uh, had a father and uh, he uh, had a friend uh, date that they have or a play date or whatever it's called where they came over and this particular uh, family had this beautiful just sandbox in the backyard for the kids to be able to play in. And these kids, uh, as they like to do, they can't just play with the sand that's there and the toys that are in the sand. They have to dig uh, and do things with that sandbox because, you know, if you can dig, why not dig, you know, as, uh, as we know that preschoolers like to do. So they began to dig, and both of them uh, began to dig separately, and then they started to dig together in this sandbox. And they came across this rock that was there. And, of course, we all know that a preschooler has come across something uh, like that. They're instantly going to say, well, this is a rock. Um, there's nothing that I can do with it, so I will move on and dig in a new place. Well, no, uh, a preschooler is not going to do that. They see a rock, it's in their way, and they're going to want to move it. They're, they're wanting to play. They're trying to, you know, dig, uh, you know, something to be able to put their little army men in or, or something. And so they started to dig out around this rock. They wanted it out of their their, uh, sandbox. They dug it out. I mean, these were smart kids. And then they tried to to lift it up, and they couldn't lift it up. And all the while, the father, who was a a good dad, always, you know, peeked in and see what was going on in the backyard. He saw the kids as they were digging in the sandbox, and he could tell they were a little frustrated, and they were trying to get something out. But he was just going to let it play out and see where things went. Well, finally, after getting the rock up in the air just a little bit, uh, these kids couldn't hold it any longer, and they and they just had to let it down. And, of course, then the crying started. And so, the father, seeing all of this that was happening in the sandbox, goes out uh, to the kids to be able to talk with him of, of why they're crying and why, you know, all the drama is happening. And so, they tell him about, you know, hey, we couldn't move this rock, and the dad asked the two kids, well, why didn't you use all the strength that you had? You know, God helps those who help themselves. Why didn't you use all the strength that they had? And they answered, but we did. Daddy, Daddy, we did. We used all the strength that we had, and we just couldn't use it. And very kindly, the father said to the kids, no, you didn't. And the loving father reached down, picked up the rock, and moved it out of the sand. Many times we as men forget about this promise of help that God gives us. Many times we wanna use our own strength to move the rocks in our path of life, in our path of marriage, in our path at work, in our path at, at home, in our community groups, in our church. And we try to look at what is the, the, the experts, what does the experts say or what does the study say or how did somebody else move this rock in their instance on the other side of the country or how did this person use this rock, this, this best-selling author, how did they move this rock in their life? How did they do this? And all those things are, are, are good and well. But the point is, is that that's not where our help and where our strength comes from. When we talk about using all of our strength to be able to face the trials and the problems that we have in life, why is it that so many times our greatest source of help, our greatest source of strength is that which we turn to last? Last. When we think about it, all the strength that we have as Christians includes the strength that God gives us and that we're promised by God. Why do we allow to get distracted with so many things to think that we can help ourselves? Why is it do we turn to the Lord so many times at the very last? I bet if we had testimony time again today, we could talk about those times where we tried to do things in our own strength and those times we turned to the Lord first and foremost for help. And now when the Lord helped us, first and foremost, he was able to use other things in our life, maybe a self-help book, maybe a Christian counselor or something else to be able to help us through a time of struggle. We have to trust and believe God's promises, men. And that means practicing what we study and what we know about God's word, practicing what we preach, practicing what we know, you know, as they say with G.I. Joe, you know, knowing is only half the battle. You got to do. We got to do. We got to practice it. And so one of the things that we've got to realize is that the promise of help is from the Lord. One of the things that um, I like to talk about with people is I um, like to talk about my, my home in, in Oklahoma. Oklahoma is where I grew up. Um, One of the things that you realize in Oklahoma very quickly is that uh, at a young age you learn how to do a tornado drill, you know, in preschool and things like that. I remember as a kid learning how to in preschool and in kindergarten about how to duck and cover. Uh, The adults didn't tell us at that time, but it's, you know, what we all know is you just, um, you do what you can to be able to survive something like that. There's no foolproof you know, thing to be able to survive a tornado, um, but you do what you can. But in 1999, um, I don't know if y'all remember uh, the first of really big tornadoes that tore through Moore, Oklahoma. Uh, it was an F5 uh, tornado that was more than a mile wide, uh, had uh, wind speeds of over 300 miles an hour. It was on the ground for, I can't remember how many miles, Uh, that it was on the ground. I want to say it was like on the ground for like 15, 20 miles uh, and for a really long time and just absolutely ripped uh, that community apart. If you remember driving down I-35 or driving up I-35, if you drove to Oklahoma City during that time, uh, it was almost like you saw there on the landscape of Moore, Oklahoma um, uh, why they call an F-5 tornado Uh, that it's the finger of God because of the power that that F5 tornado has, It's almost like the Lord himself took his finger, put it on the earth, and just went like this because there's such a well-defined path of destruction that is everything is fine, and then all of a sudden, boom, then there's nothing, you know, just destruction. You would see... Uh, driving along I-35 there, everything would be looking nice, you know, homes and stuff everywhere. And then all of a sudden, it was almost like a line that you could draw and then destruction for the next mile as you drove I-35 and then for miles as you looked east and as you looked to the west. It was just, it it was unbelievable to be able to see that destruction. Well, part of where that destruction was right there in I-35 in Mora, Oklahoma, was in a neighborhood that was totally and completely um, flattened. Um, One of the things about tornadoes is when these things happen, um, as quickly as they do, people don't have a lot of time to be able to find shelter. Uh, A lot of times, um, you know, people don't heed the warnings until the very last second. Well, these families that were in that area, they hunkered down and um, the tornado came through. And believe it or not, there were a lot of people that survived that tornado as it completely demolished their house. There were people who were literally buried alive in their own house because of that tornado. The first responders as they were coming on that night in May in 1999, I believe, um, were coming to that area and they saw nothing but this decimation and this desolation in these neighborhoods and they were just shell-shocked. But then all of a sudden they started hearing cries for help. Well, it was also during this time that Red Cross and other relief agencies had already begun to come in and set up triage and other areas to be able to help the survivors. And as the first responders uh, were going from and trying to, to dig people out from out from under the rubble of their homes, um, people would come out and they were just basically asking for help. What do we do? They look around and everything's gone. You know, there's, there's literally no hope. You know, all they've got is a little bit of lights coming from the, the flashlights that the first responders have or the emergency vehicles. And uh, what had happened during that time, and I had to call and verify the story. I did it back in, uh, in 1999 when I first started using this illustration, but I called and verified that what I'm about to tell you is true. What happened is that a triage area was set up at a nearby church. I don't know if you've driven I-35 there in Moore, Oklahoma, and seen right there on I-35 in Moore, Oklahoma, is a church called First Baptist Church in Moore, Oklahoma. It's right there with a big parking lot, big areas right there. Well, the church wasn't damaged uh, too badly, and they had a lot of their open, uh, their parking lot that was still open. And so they came in and they started setting up triage uh, there, uh, power generators, things like that. The call went out on the radios to be able to send people there uh, to the church. And uh, the first responders were like, how can we show people you know, where to go or, or what to do? And they said, don't worry, we'll have something for you, you'll be able to see and know it. And so the first families, as they were being rescued out from under that rubble, um, the first responders would see that they were okay or maybe they had minor injuries or injuries that weren't uh, critical. And they would basically tell them, um, we've got to go on to try to help and find other people who are more critical than you, but you need to go over here to help and where help can be found. And men, as God is my witness, what they did in that triage situation, using First Baptist Church or Moore, Oklahoma's parking lot to be able to help those people in that neighborhood right beside that church, they brought out a searchlight God is my witness. The cross on the steeple of that church still stood. They put a searchlight on the cross, and as people came out from under that rubble, from under that despair from under that sense of hopelessness, from under that sense of brokenness, from under that sense of, of, of experiencing physical pain and loss that we just can't imagine unless you've been through it. The first responder said, go there for help because there's where you can find help. There's where you can find shelter. There is where you can get your needs met. There is where you can find warmth. There is where you can find acceptance. There is where you can find food. There is where you can find a place and somebody to be able to hug your neck and to be with you through this difficult time. When is the last time when we were truly in need of help? that we look first and foremost to the cross. How much pain could we have saved ourselves? How much pain could we have saved our families? How much pain could we have saved things that we were struggling with at work? How many things could we have saved with things we were struggling with as we were coaching our little league teams or other stuff or the difficulties that we've had at church, our financial difficulties and things? If we had just looked to the cross first, and not looked at our circumstances and things around us and think that things were hopeless. May my encouragement to you today as we close is to first and foremost look to the author of help with anything that you go through in life. And that help is a certain hope, and that certain hope is a person and that help that he paid for us was paid for on the cross. That's a symbol of our help. That's where help begins, not where help is our last resource. It's our first resource, it's our first view, it's our first gaze, it's our first prayer. Not in and of ourselves. Lord, I thank you for this passage. I thank you for such a uh, tremendous encouragement for us today for help. Father, I pray that you'll help these men as they deal with the difficulties and things that they have in life. Help them to be able to, to look for the help that you are so willing and able and ready to provide. Father, I also pray that we as a church would do that as well when we face difficulties as a church, that we would first and foremost look to you that we would first and foremost uh, uh, pray and look to you for help and guidance and not uh, look to anything else until we have first sought your direction and how we should proceed and what we should do. Help us as fathers, help us as grandfathers, help us as husbands, help us as workers to be able to not only look to you for help but to minister and to point others to look to you for help first. And Father, I pray as we begin to live this way that you will truly use us as the Bible talks about, about being a a city on a hill, shining a light, the light of Christ, so that people who are hopeless can see the hope of you in us and want to know more about it. And we know that, uh, Father, through us you can use that to be able to be a witness in this world father again we thank you for this time i thank you for this men be with our pastor strengthen him for the ministry that he has coming ahead with all these hurting families in this community i pray you'll continue to uh, allow us as cottonwood creek to be a beacon of 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 hope and love as we uh, seek first and foremost to love you and love people in jesus name we pray amen